We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, and today we have an Oregon rundown for you. We are doing an Oregon rundown for Wednesday, July 20th, 2022. <clears throat> if you guys are new here, like I said, I'm Max Torres. I'm the publisher of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Fan Nation, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. And today we have the Oregon rundown. I want to say uh, welcome to the show. Uh, if you guys are new here, definitely hop in the comment section, the live chat section. Let me know what's on your mind. We're getting close to Pac-12 Media Day, close to the start of fall camp for the Ducks. And uh, man, there's a, we're, we're getting through that dead period, right? The, the dead lull of summer with, with very little football news uh, as we kind of wait for football season. But uh, yeah, if you guys are new here, definitely hop in the chat. Let me know what's on your mind. Ask me a question. I'll try to get to it. Have some other stuff that I want to hit on as we you know tackle the top Oregon stories of the day. Uh, but definitely want to connect with you guys and uh, know what's on your mind. So um, a special thank you to the Ducks Dish Squad. If you guys are regulars watching the show, uh, if you guys uh, you know catch the show, catch the podcast, just want to say a big thank you for your support. So without further ado, let's hop into some of the top stories of the day uh, for Oregon, starting off with running back Byron Cardwell. Byron Carwell was named to the preseason Doak Walker uh, Award watch list. That is an award given annually, in case you're unfamiliar, to the nation's top running back. Uh, so Carwell already finds himself in very strong company just by landing on the list. Um, but he was one of a handful of running backs that found themselves on the list after an impressive 2021 season. You guys will remember that Cardwell was asked to step up and take on a bigger role for the Ducks last year after C.J. Verdell suffered a season-ending lower leg injury against the Stanford Cardinal on the road in Palo Alto at the farm. And to say that Cardwell performed admirably is probably an understatement. Uh, we're looking at some of the stats from Cardwell for last year. Let me get them up on my screen here real quick just so I can make sure I'm being nice and accurate. So Carwell in 2021, as a true freshman, mind you, he touched the ball 61, carried the ball 61 times for 417 rushing yards uh, and also had three touchdowns. And he led the Pac-12 with 6.84 yards per carry. 
And he also had eight runs of 20 yards or more, which is a mark that was good for fourth in the Pac-12. And Carbo's 417 rushing yards ranked second among Pac-12 freshmen. So I think it's just it's a good a good thing for for Cardwell just because it looks like he's getting some you know some respect nationally. I think when you look at the season that he had as a true freshman, he definitely displayed some of those characteristics that you really want to see in a running back. And I feel like after watching him last season, he really ran with a lot of patience. I think that was one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest traits that had a lot of people's attention because patience in a running back is is such a valuable trait because you want to know when to hit the hole, when to wait a little bit for that blocker to get around the edge. And that's something that really looked like uh, there wasn't that much, uh, you know, of a learning curve necessarily for Byron Carbwell in his freshman season with the Ducks, uh, you know, really performed admirably alongside Travis Dye as, as kind of a nice change of pace guy, definitely more of a bruiser than Dye was last year. Um, so I think that it's exciting to see that uh, Byron Carbwell landed on this list. Um, just looking, I had a story on Ducks Digest earlier today, but just kind of peeling back the layers and looking at some of the history for Oregon football with regard to the Doak Walker Award. Uh, they've only had one winner in program history, and that was Michael James in 2010, the same year that Michael James was one of four finalists in New York City for the Heisman Trophy Award. Um, and that's definitely uh, a big accomplishment for, uh, for, for James as one of the most prolific backs in program history. Uh, and the running back position is, is probably the one that I would say Oregon's the most known for. Um, running back definitely had some really good quarterbacks with, with Marks Mariota, Justin Herbert, Vernon Adams, even though it was only for a year, Joey Harrington, uh, Dennis Dixon, you know, a bunch of guys that, that you know, Darren Thomas, a, a bunch of guys that you can uh, talk about uh, when you're looking at back at, uh, at Oregon history. Um, so what did I have here? So he was, he was one of, I believe, yeah, he was one of 10 running backs that was named to the list. A couple other uh, big names at running back across the Pac-12 that also found themselves on this preseason watch list. Travis Dye at USC, Austin Jones at USC, uh, Zach Charbonnet at UCLA, Deshaun Fenwick at Oregon State, Alex Fontenot at uh, Colorado Boulder, Tavion Thomas at Utah. I think if we look at the Pac-12 from a big picture, um, I think that Tavion Thomas is one of the backs that I'm the most excited about for this year after the crazy season that he had with with um, Utah last year. Just, you know, definitely a, an NFL type of back. And uh, he's someone that uh, is really going to help Utah take that next step and played a really big role in the explosive offense that they were able to have last year out in Salt Lake City en route to their first Pac-12 title since joining the conference. Um, but I think one thing that's interesting about this, uh, the Oregon running backs, right? Let's just kind of zoom out and talk about the Oregon running back position as a whole. Um, there's been a ton of movement in this Oregon running back room since just the end of last season, right? Uh, you lose Travis Dye, who transfers to USC, and then CJ Verdell plays his last college season and now uh, is no longer with the program. So the new staff comes in, Carlos Lachlan comes in, and he brings a bunch of talent to add to that room in Eugene. We're looking at Noah Whittington from Western Kentucky, who Carlos Lachlan coached before he joined Dan Lane's staff, Marquise Bucky Irvin uh, from Minnesota, a guy that a lot of teams, a lot of schools really, really, really wanted on their roster. So keep an eye out for Marquise Irving 
uh, next year, uh, certainly in fall camp. And then you have Jordan James, the 2022 running back who comes over to Eugene all the way across the country from Tennessee. And then you have Preston Alford, who is out of the uh, state of Texas, the Lone Star State, Ellis Bynum uh, from nearby Portland. And then you also have Aaron Smith, uh, who's a walk-on, Sean Dollars. So this is a room that has a ton of talent, and we're going to see a bunch of competition because, let's be real, the the carries haven't been up in the air like this at Oregon for quite some time. C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye were the dynamic duo for Oregon for the better part of the past four years. So carries are definitely up for grabs in Eugene ahead of the 2022 season. I named all those guys, and we didn't even talk about Seven McGee, who has trans- transitioned to wide receiver, but something tells me that I want to believe that he's going to be coming out of the backfield a little bit. I just feel like when you have a talent like that, that can do so many different things really, really well is that explosive out of the backfield. Kenny Dillingham, the rest of the offensive staff is going to want to get him involved uh, in some plays out of the backfield, maybe some swing passes some screens, some reverses. Maybe we see some, uh, some trick passes. Like we did see some reverse passes like we saw in the spring game. So I feel like the, the Oregon running back, room is one that has arguably the most amount of intrigue I'd probably say the wide receivers overall um but the the, the depth is is certainly there um so I feel like it's just gonna it's gonna be a really exciting year to see who ultimately gets the most carries what that rotation looks like kind of feels like Carlos Lachlan wants to have a dynamic duo uh, I'm pretty sure he was he was talking to in in the spring just about how a lot of the the best Oregon running back tandems have been dynamic duos right um, you had recently you had Travis Dye, CJ Verdell. Uh, you also had Thomas Tyner and Royce Freeman. Royce Freeman uh, having the better uh, performance of the two. And then you had um, DeAnthony Thomas, obviously, uh, as well as Kenyon Barner. So there's just a long, long history of really, really talented running backs in the room that have come through Eugene. And Carlos Lachlan, I, I love the job that he's done as far as just building up that room and just injecting so much competition into that room to just ultimately get the best guy on the field. Right. That's what you kind of want to see at the, uh, at the end of the season. Right. Um, getting some of these comments here. Uh, Dad bud says, I love your show, Max, never catch you live, but always watch the uploads. I watch every video. LOL. Sorry. Don't always like or comment. Go ducks. Glad you're here. Thanks for the support. And, uh, glad you took some time to, uh, Talk some ball with us, right? Uh, Andrew asks, any update on the chances of some high-end talent, namely Richard Young, PNK Concho, David Hicks, and Mateo Yu, all kind of long shots but have Oregon in their final groups? I would argue that not necessarily everybody in that list is a long shot. Um, I think with the job that this new Oregon staff has done, the talent that they've been able to get on campus for visits, numerous visits ahead of these decisions, you know, some of these guys – um, I don't think actually any of these guys that you named here uh, have set commitment dates just yet, but they are, like you said, Oregon's in the final group for a lot of these guys. So they're still involved here um, with Richard Young. I think he's probably one of the more interesting names just because it kind of feels like a, uh, an announcement could come at any point right now, just with the way that his visits lined up. He took all of his official visits before the dead period. Right. So for me, kind of just on the surface, I feel like that looks like a guy that probably wants to have his decision made before his senior season. Um, Just makes sense. I think when you take those visits, when you did and Oregon got the last visit. And then we also saw that Alabama recently picked up a commitment from justice, justice Haynes, 
who uh, was a Georgia legacy, I believe, one of the top running backs from the Peach State. So a lot of people were really surprised when Justice Haynes elected to go to Alabama. And it had a feel, at least earlier on in this recruitment, like Richard Young was Alabama's guy. That was the running back that Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide wanted to get. But now Justin Haynes commits, and Oregon already has uh, a commitment from a running back. But it feels like they want to take two backs in this cycle. I'm, I'm pretty confident in that. And it really looks like Richard Young has emerged as the, the prime guy that they really want to add to, to pair with Dante Dowdell to kind of serve as that thunder and lightning, right? We've seen the graphics on social media, the excitement that's created within the fan base. And uh, I think this would be huge for Oregon to get back into the sunshine state. If you can get back into the sunshine state for the first time, I'd say since, well, they, they did get Jonathan Dennis in the 2020 class, but he's since transferred back to Miami. So I'd really argue since 2019 when the Ducks got a really solid dude in Brandon Dorless to get back into the Sunshine State with a guy like Richard Young, that's huge. That's the kind of talent that you want to get on your roster. So no update, particularly on Young. I think that it's certainly not bad news to see that Alabama added another running back um, You know, in the past week or so. I can't remember exactly what data was, but it's good to see that there's some movement there because you got to know here, if you guys aren't familiar with Richard Young, if you don't follow recruiting super closely, Richard Young is down to a final three of Oregon, Alabama, and Georgia. Um, but you see Justice Haynes go to Alabama. Maybe you could say that maybe Georgia feels really good about their chances with Richard Young because they don't have a running back just yet. But I think a lot of things are in Oregon's favor here. Carlos Lachlan, uh, don't call him an elite recruiter. He is an elite relationship builder. I had him on the podcast recently. Definitely go give that a watch. Give it a listen if you haven't. Great stuff from Coach Locke. Um, and then you also got that last visit. Getting the last official visit over Ohio State is huge. Definitely don't want to under um, underscore that. Uh, I think I guess I do want to underscore that and just note that it's important. Um, and then just the history of elite backs that the Ducks have had. I don't think that they've necessarily been producing a lot of strong running back talent recently. I think that Jonathan Stewart's the biggest name that you see recently having some success in the NFL. LeGarrette Blunt is another guy too. Um, so I think Richard Young doesn't feel like he's too much of a long shot. I think that, yeah, that's a question here from um, Richard Young. Uh, sorry, from Real Slimy about Richard Young. So kind of killing two birds with one stone here, knocking out a couple of these questions. And I do kind of feel like he probably commits before. That's kind of the feel that I get is that I wouldn't be surprised if he committed before his senior season. And then some of these other guys, Pancake Concho, I think after talking to him on that visit, which was an unofficial visit, I don't believe he has a commitment date set right now, but he definitely does feel like a bit of a long shot right now. Uh, David Hicks, Mateo Yu, Mateo Uyunglele, those are two really interesting prospects, right? Because you want to get that first big fish if you're Tosh Lapoy, right? Uh, Oregon's new defensive coordinator, just really, really high billing as a recruiter. Coming to Eugene, it's that guy that I feel like Oregon fans have wanted on this staff forever. You need big-time edge talent after losing Kayvon Thibodeau, and then you're going to lose some talent along the trenches this year uh, with guys like Popo Amavai and Brandon Dorless probably playing their last seasons this year uh, for Oregon. So, in a way, I almost feel more confident right now about David Hicks than Mateo Yu. Um, Mateo doesn't speak to reporters super often, just plays his cards very close to the vest. Um, but fortunately for Oregon, Mateo has been to Oregon a lot of times for visits, more so than Hicks has. And that's not a big surprise, right? We all know that Oregon recruited Mateo's brother, DJ Uyunglele, before he committed to Clemson. So 
Mateo naturally went on a lot of those visits and uh, the Ducks did everything they could to try to get DJ, but obviously he, he didn't end up committing to Oregon. Uh, but, and I feel like with Mateo, I think my feel has kind of been like it's Ohio an Ohio state lead right now, especially with Larry Johnson, the extensive track record that he has. And then you also have USC, which is the hometown school, kind of you know, the school that he, he grew up rooting for. I imagine a lot of his family and friends grew up rooting for. Um, and then USC also has some talent on, on, along the defensive line that they've put out into the, into the NFL, most notably Leonard Williams. But we can't sell Oregon short here, right, if we're talking about talent produced along the defensive line, along the trenches, DeForest Buckner. Wish my Niners hung on to him. But he ended up going to the Indianapolis Colts, and he's just been balling out there. Eric Armstead, who is on my 49ers, he's doing really well. Um, and then, obviously, you have Lodi Nada. If we're dating it back a while. Um, but the Ducks have produced at both of those positions. So I feel like right now, um, it looks like Pancake Concho, uh, Samson Okunlola, um isn't looking like an Oregon lean. Uh, none of these guys have announced commitment dates as far as I know. Uh, but then I, I also feel like with David Hicks, you've got to keep an eye on some of those Texas schools because they do not let the, ta- the top in-state talent out of the state's borders, at least not like previous staffs have. You know, you look at Jimbo Fisher, you look at the job that um, Steve Sarkeesian's doing. Uh, they just got a really big time cornerback commitment today, Malik Muhammad. He's incredibly talented, and I believe he is uh, is from the state of Texas, uh, if if I'm uh, remembering that correctly, yep, he's from Dallas. There you go. So that just goes back to my point. Um, Leif Mohammed announcing his commitment. Four-star cornerback pledges to the Longhorns today on Wednesday. So hopefully that kind of answered that question, but always love getting the recruiting questions. And we'll see if I can get to a couple other ones here. Chunky Monkey says, finally, I get to catch a live show. Glad to have you here. Chunky Monkey has been a very long time friend of the program of the show. Uh, Eric Patterson says, let's add Richard Young to the running back room. Also said Cardwell will be a beast this season. We were talking about Byron Cardwell and him landing on the Doak Walker Award watch list. If you guys are just joining us here on the show, Eric also said Jonathan Stewart is the best running back from Oregon. Um, I think if we're looking at NFL success, that's probably pretty spot on if you're asking me. Uh, Jonathan Stewart was a beast. Uh, you know, on the Panthers. So really enjoyed watching him when he was in the league. Mikey G said, let's get it. And got some duck emojis. Shout out to Mikey G, another, uh, another longtime supporter. Uh, we got Gerard here, pro Grum. Um, let's see here. Max said, not worried about the depth, the running, the depth, the not worried depth about depth in the running back room this year. Unlike last year. Yeah, I I don't think that depth at running back last year was was that big of a big of a concern. I mean, after after CJ got hurt, they definitely had talent in that room, right? You're looking at Travis Dye, Byron Carwell, who obviously played really really well, um, and then you had Sean Dollars, who was hurt for pretty much the whole year. Seven McGee, who kind of got in, but then they needed help at wide receiver. So maybe I have kind of talked myself out of that. I was surprised that Travis Dye played as much as he did, but he just showed why he's such a special talent. The fact that he really took on that, that bell cow role uh, for the ducks that, you know, every down back more or less. Um, I thought that was pretty big. Um, okay. Let's see. What else do we have here? A uh, question from any closer to a merger with the ACC 
would love to go against Mario. Um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really seem like there's a whole lot of new developments on the realignment front. I know a lot of people are kind of of the opinion or of the camp. Can we just stop talking about realignment? I mean, we're going through SEC media days, Big 12 media days, um, Pac-12 media days are next week. So like we're finally getting back to football. So I don't have anything new about um, that I've seen about a merger with the ACC, but there was an update in the past couple of days since I've been able to get on here and do a podcast, do a live show. There was an update from Pete Thamel of ESPN saying that uh, Big 12 and Pac-12 won't partner as talks of a merger officially end. That story, like I said, coming from ESPN's Pete Thamel on July 18th, 2022. Um, so there were extensive calls uh, between top league officials I'm just trying to kind of paraphrase some of the big points uh, here. Um, but it says that the the merger, the conference merger, or like a, a deal between the two conferences wouldn't work for, quote, a, multiple, a multitude of reasons, which included the fact that any potential deal wouldn't have driven much revenue for the league. Quote, it just didn't work, end quote, the source said. So I think this looked like the more likely option, right? Pac-12, Big 12 merging after it looked like they're – I think a lot of fans maybe created momentum that they wanted Oregon to head to the Big Ten. I definitely understand the case for some people saying that Oregon would be a, a good fit in the Big Ten and definitely one of the biggest um, brands in college football. But what did we see? We saw that the Big Ten was prioritizing Notre Dame, which has all the leverage in the world. So because the Big Ten is waiting for an answer from Notre Dame, that kind of just put everybody – definitely in Oregon, Oregon fans and Washington fans, right? Because some people are tying them together at the hip because they're rivals, because they uh, you have the Seattle market and you want to try to combine that with some of the Portland and Eugene market, which obviously we know aren't that big. Um, but after that kind of cooled down, it felt to me like maybe the Big 12, Pac-12 merger wasn't the, the uh, you know worst possible option. Uh, I think geographically, if you have the Pac-12 and Big 12, the, the, uh, maybe the traveling works a little bit more easily. You definitely have some really good basketball teams and certainly some solid football programs in the Big 12 with, with Baylor and what Dave Aranda is building there. Uh, Iowa State has been a team that I think schools just don't want to face on a week-to-week basis. We saw what happened when Oregon and Iowa State played a couple years ago in the Fiesta Bowl. Oregon just got destroyed pretty much by, by Iowa State. You know, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty tough game for the Ducks. Um, and then who else do you have? TCU in there too. So outside of Texas and Oklahoma, the, the Big 12 doesn't have too many great uh, football teams. Um, you have West Virginia, but that would be a really tough, tough sell as far as just geograph- geography and making that work. So it doesn't really seem like we have too much of an update on, on the merger. It does feel, I think that some of the some of what I've been able to read and kind of glean on social media, as well as some of the these other reports, it looks like you know we could be months or even a year away from from any kind of resolution when it comes to conference realignment. But I think I feel the way a lot of people do, just kind of on the edge of your seat. Even though 2024 is when the USC Trojans, UCLA Bruins will officially leave for the Big Ten, it feels like it's just precious time now. Like the clock's ticking to find a new home um, if you're an Oregon fan, right? Because you don't want to stay in the Pac-12. Um, but I think just to kind of wrap this point up, it feels like this is a good thing in a way because if you want Oregon to go to the Big Ten, it's a good thing that a deal didn't work out with the Big 12 and the Pac-12.
Um, let's see. What else do we got here? Okay, I have one more topic I wanted to get into here. And uh, that is that there's a new, there a big story of the day uh, here for the Ducks is that Oregon's season opener against Georgia has officially sold out. That is the Chick-fil-A uh, Peach Bowl kickoff game of, uh, of the week. Um, we have week one, September 3rd, that is the huge game for the Ducks. Uh, and you know, we got some quotes from, from Dan Lanning and, and Kirby Smart to kind of get some of their uh, some of their thoughts on this game already selling out. So I want to get to those quotes here. Uh, we'll start with Dan Lanning. Dan Lanning said, quote, this is going to be a tremendous matchup between two of college football's premier programs. You know, he said programs though, but it reads out as programs. Uh, Lanning said, the game being sold out already speaks to the power of these two brands and the national buzz around this matchup. And we look forward to seeing Duck fans out in full force in Atlanta our offseason has been all about focusing on our DNA traits as a team and coming together as one unit. And our student athletes are working incredibly hard to create a really solid foundation for the season. We can't wait for the opportunity to put that hard work on display against an elite opponent on September 3rd. I'm just digesting what, what, you know, what I read from, from landing there. I like what he said about, we've been, the entire offseason, it's been all about focusing on our DNA traits as a team because you want to get that buy-in. You want to establish that foundation of, of that common goal. You know, how do we, what kind of a team do we want to be and how are we going to get there? Um, I'm sure that there was definitely some solid points from the previous coaching staff, but Landon came in and just, it really feels like he just made it this team and made it his team. He's made this team, his team. Um, really feels like they're all on the same page from, from everything that we've heard, uh, certainly with the rest of the coaching staff as well. Um, so I think that he's just, he's definitely putting off an image of, of, of confidence, right? Who, who wouldn't want that from their head coach? And, and you can't have, uh, you know, much more, much bigger of a game to start your head coaching career off with than against the defending national champions and, and against your former team, no less. So I think that it's, it's definitely exciting to keep hearing this from, to hear this from Lanning about the game selling out. And then we got to hear from Kirby Smart as well, right? Kirby said, the Chick-fil-A kickoff game will provide another great opportunity for Georgia to play on a national stage against a top quality opponent in what has become known as the college capital of college football, Atlanta. The game being sold out is certainly no surprise, and I know our team and our fans are excited about playing in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. We've only played Oregon once in our history, so it will be an outstanding opportunity for both teams. So I was doing a little bit of research when this, uh, when this news came out today that the Oregon Georgia game sold out the only time the two programs have played each other, which is of course what, uh, what smart was alluding to that one matchup came in 1977. And that was a game that Georgia won 27 to 16. That was at home at Stanford stadium in Athens. So basically a, a home game, uh, right. Uh, for the Bulldogs, so that doesn't necessarily help Oregon. I was at that Ohio State um, Ohio State Oregon game last year in Columbus, and uh, you could definitely see the uh, Oregon fans that they, they were there. But man, that was a a dominating um, crowd of red and white, and Ducks got it done. And, and man, what a special day it was for those Oregon fans that that were out there. Um, kind of some cool numbers behind the Chick Fil A kickoff game. Um, 
let's see that that came uh from this release um as the nation's longest running neutral site season opener the chick-fil-a kickoff game averages 67,064 fans higher than the attendance of 43 bowl games last year and has an average payout of 5.96 million dollars which is higher than 30 bowl games from the 2021-2022 bowl season the chick-fil-a kickoff games also have a strong television viewership year after year with more than 87.5 million viewers tuning in since 2008. Uh, that's coming from the Chick-fil-A kickoff game committee, uh, specifically from uh, looks like Matt Garvey, who's the vice president of communications over there. So shout out to him, as well as Dylan Faulkner, the director of communications for that lovely press release that we got. And then kind of a cool tradition. I don't know if you guys knew this, Um there's a little tradition with this game. Um, where was it? I just had it. Um, oh, no. Come on. Um, okay, yeah, here it says, it says here. The teams will battle for the old leather helmet trophy, one of college football's newest rivalry-style icons. Traditionally, winners of the old leather helmet don the helmet on the field after the game, starting with the head coach and then rotating from player to player as the team celebrates its victory. So a little bit extra on the line, right? You want to fight for that, uh, that trophy to have to be able to wear that helmet is, uh, is certainly going to be pretty cool for whoever gets to win that game. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break here uh, as we are rocking and rolling on this lovely Wednesday evening. And uh, we'll take a quick break and we will catch you on the other side. You're listening to the Ducks Dish Podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. With Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. All right, welcome back to the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres. Appreciate you guys tuning in wherever you are tuned in, whether it is on a 
podcasting app of your choice. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Most of them, you can find us there. Or if you're here live on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Taurus, just wanted to say appreciate you guys taking some time out of your day, showing some support to the channel. It means a tremendous amount to me. Uh, if you could go ahead and take a quick second out of your day, smash the like button and smash the subscribe button. Really helps me grow the channel and keep doing what I'm doing, covering the ducks. So with all that being said, let's hop into some more questions here because you guys are showing up in the chat. I think that is awesome. I love to hear that. Um, all right, let's see. Got a question from Gerard. What do you think will be the range of total high school commits we add in the 2023 class? We are at 11 commits right now. Yeah, I think so where Oregon's at right now, I like what they've done so far, right? Getting Dante Moore in the fold is a huge box to check for this Oregon staff, especially in Dan Lanning and Kenny Dillingham's first year as uh, coaches on this Oregon staff. You have to get a quarterback. Um, certainly their options were getting pretty limited, right? With with uh, you know Jane Rashada going to Miami, Nico Yamalava going to Tennessee. Uh, and then Avery Johnson right before Dante committed, you know, not too, not too soon before he committed uh, going to Kansas State. So I thought that was really big. But where they're at right now, um, from a number standpoint, let me let me pull something up just so I can try to I want to try to give a, a good educated answer here because um, I, I feel like the cap is at 25. I need to do a little bit more research there. But um, so let's see. Let's see if, if Oregon can get Richard Young or another running back. That'll put you at 12. I feel like you probably want to add um, you probably want to add another wide receiver or two. They have Jurion Dickey and Ashton Cozart. So let's just say 14. You definitely want to hit the offensive line pretty hard uh, because that's a, a position group that's gonna, you know, lose a lot of guys. So we're at 14 right now. A um, couple guys that I know Oregon's in the running for and definitely in a good spot with. You have Micah Benuelos, the offensive lineman out of Washington State. Um, not Washington, D.C., but Washington State. Um, so I feel like he's – I feel like the Ducks are in an awesome spot there, and, and I I would be kind of surprised if, if Oregon didn't end up landing him um, just after, after speaking with him. It feels like he's really high on the Ducks, really high on Adrian Clem and this Oregon offensive line staff. You also have Miles McVeigh, the big-time offensive lineman out of East St. Louis. He's announced a college commitment date of August 11th. So those are two pieces right there that could be falling into place for Oregon uh, pretty soon along the offensive line. So um, let's see. So if if they were to if they were to land those two guys, that would get them up to 16 here. Um, and you got to already be feeling pretty good about that secondary, right? The secondary is definitely a group that. Uh, the Ducks have hit really hard in the recruiting trail early on with commitments from Caleb Presley uh, out of Rainier Beach. He's a cornerback. Uh, Cole Martin, the son of Demetrius Martin, really excited about him and the skill set he brings to the table. Colin Gill out of St. John's in Washington, D.C. Tyler Turner, safety out of Texas. And Cody DeCambra, safety out of Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas. So I think I would, I would think that Oregon's probably done in the secondary for 2023. Um, with, with kind of one of those big fish that's still out there and Roger Pleasant being one of the top corners in the country, crazy, crazy speed. You know, he's someone that's probably going to want to finish out his complete senior year, get that last track season in seeing that he is the 
state record holder for the 100 meter in California with a time, I believe, of 10.14. I think you definitely want to get some more defensive linemen in the fold here. We've talked about some of those big names, right? David Hicks being one of them. I think he's kind of more an interior guy than, say, Mateo Uyunglele, who's more, you know, 6'4", 6'5", 250-ish, 240-ish on the edge there. Um, so um, let's see. So that would be, you know, a couple more guys if, if they were to hop in the fold. Would get you up to 18. I wanted. I was saying. I think you need a couple more defensive linemen in this 2023 class, ideally. And you got to get some backers, right? They really haven't uh, had a tremendous amount of success recruiting linebackers of yet in this class. But that doesn't mean that they haven't been pursuing them, right? Um, so we could. Excuse me. Got got some burps here. Hanging in there with me. Um, we also have uh, Mateo Uyunglele. You know, the edge position. Whether you want to call it a linebacker or a lineman, it's up to you. But um, for this, I'm just going to say that Edge is a linebacker. You have Blake Purchase as another guy, really, really talented guy out of uh, I think Cherry Creek in Colorado is where he's playing. Blake Nicholson, the Northern California linebacker out of Manteca. Ducks are in a really good spot there. He he had previously announced the top three of Oregon, Florida State, and UCLA. Um, and UCLA, to their credit, they've been picking up some momentum on their recruiting trail, and they're they're recruiting a lot of California guys, particularly Southern California guys, with you know Trey Edwards, a linebacker uh, from San Diego, committing there. Um, so I think you probably want you know two, three linebackers um, for for this class because you figure you figure you're entering your last year with Noah Sewell, uh, as well as um, I don't think it's super likely necessarily, but you could find yourself having to replace Justin Flo because he will technically be three years removed from high school, 2020, 21, 22 season. Um, but I feel like he's going to have to play a full season if he really wants a good shot at the NFL. So hope here's hoping that he can stay healthy for the Ducks this year. And then you have Mace Funa as a guy who's probably entering his last season. So you're going to have to, you know, replace him as well. Um, so I feel like the range would would probably be, uh, I'm going to say maybe around 23, I think. It seems like it might be a little bit more of a numbers-heavy class because you do have to fill in for a lot of guys that you're losing, uh, particularly along the offensive line as well as some defensive linemen. And you want to keep restocking every position, but linebacker may be another one that you want to add a couple pieces to. So I'm going to take a closer look at the numbers. That's something I've been meaning to do. And uh, I'm sorry, I've been putting it off, but great question from Gerard. Uh, appreciate that. Let's see. Steve says the weight is killing me, not only for duck football, but also for Justin Herbert and hopefully Marcus Mariota. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I can't wait for football season. It always feels like it's going to take forever for football season to get here. Right. Especially when I was covering duck basketball last year, really had a good time doing that, but um I was, I was wanting to cover football, you know, the whole time because that's my favorite sport. Um, but yeah, you know, it feels like Justin Herbert's going to have a phenomenal season with the Chargers again. I really like some of the pieces that, that they've added to that team, and then uh, Marcus Mariota with the Falcons. Not the best situation, but hey, it looks like he's really going to have a shot to to be that starting quarterback, um, and you know, really just prove that he can play the game at a high level, which he has done. But um, he's also had to serve as a backup. Mikey G asks, sorry if you already covered it, but will more eventually get that fifth star from on three and any thoughts on why they are kind of low on him 
when others are not don't know that process at all. Yeah. That is a little bit of a shocker just because it seems like some of the other recruiting services, recruiting outlets are very, very high on more. I know that SIL American named him their uh, MVP from the elite 11. And it's, you know, you can't really find better competition to go up against, right? When you bring all of the best quarterbacks from across the country into one place, that being uh, the Los Angeles area and pin them against each other. Arch Manning wasn't there. Nico Yamaleava wasn't there. We all know Nico was playing against, uh, was playing his last, you know, last run of volleyball with his teammates. So can't knock a guy for that. Um, and then it just, I think it's, uh, you know, Arch Manning's camp kind of limits a little bit of the exposure that he gets. It seems like I don't really know the reason there. And I, and I don't want to, um, I don't want to speculate kind of what, what their reasoning is, but I'm not really sure why, um, why they're kind of low on him. You know, everybody kind of has their own criteria when it comes to rankings. I personally haven't really worked with rankings. Um, that's not something that they, they uh, have at SIL American where I, I do some recruiting coverage, but Dante's about as good as it gets when you're looking at quarterbacks. And, and it sounds like a lot of people, you know, Greg Biggins and some of the, the recruiting analysts, recruiting experts at 247 feel like he has a legitimate shot to be that number one guy uh, number one quarterback, number one overall player, even he's up to number two on two, four, sevens rankings, uh, overall player in the class. So we'll have to see, we'll have to see what happens there and we'll just keep looking at it. Um, let's see. There was one other story that I wanted to hit on, make sure to hit on today. It's already been 40 minutes. Wow. These shows really just fly by, but one of the other stories I guess it wasn't from today. I think it was actually from uh, yesterday, but um, Bo Nix was named to the Davey O'Brien Award watch list. Uh, 35 quarterbacks in total named to this list. Uh, there were four from the Pac-12, including Nix. You also had Stanford's Tanner McKee, Utah's Cameron Rising, as well as USC's Caleb Williams. For those of you that don't know about the Davey O'Brien Award, it is the oldest and most prestigious national quarterback award in college football. And to bring some numbers to light here of Bo Nix's body of work prior to landing in Eugene after spending the last three seasons at Auburn, 7,251 passing yards, 39 touchdowns and then through the air. And then you also had 20, 262 carries for 869 rushing yards and 18 touchdowns on the ground. That is in 34 total games of work. My question, if Bo Nix does end up winning the starting job for Dan Lanning and the Ducks, in Eugene, where can Nick's grow? He's played a lot of college football. He's already very experienced. It already kind of feels like you know what kind of skill set he brings to the table. For me, I feel like we're really going to have to keep an eye on his efficiency and his decision decision making. I was listening to uh, the QB11 show, which is an awesome podcast uh, by QB11, uh, as well as uh, Doug Scott, I believe his name is. I'm hoping I'm hopefully I'm saying the right names, but they brought Kenny Dillingham on their podcast. Um, today and Dillingham was really just talking about efficiency as being a super important part of his offense, his offensive vision, his offensive system. So for me, where I want to see Nick's grow, if he does end up winning that job, it looks like he's a perceived favorite is efficiency and decision-making things like knowing when to eat a bad play. We know how strong he is when it comes to improvising, you know, trying to make something out of nothing, but that can get you into trouble. That can make you take sacks that you maybe didn't have to take. Or maybe you know when to take a sack so you don't make a bad play worse, like Dillingham has said, like he did say after the conclusion of the spring game. Uh, at the conclusion of spring ball, that's the area that he's going to be looking for Knicks to grow in. 
um, moving forward. And then just decision-making. I feel like when I think about decision-making, uh, I look back to the awesome offenses that the SEC has to awesome defenses that he had to go against in the SEC, uh, the, the poor offensive line that he had uh, at Auburn, the strong offensive line he's going to have at Oregon and the uh, much less intimidating defenses he's going to have to play in the Pac-12. And I see, when I see that, I see areas that allow him to make that growth, to take a step forward in efficiency, to take a step forward in his decision-making. The decision-making should absolutely be there because like I said earlier, he's played a lot of football. You shouldn't be making repeated mistakes, you know, throughout the season or throughout your career. Maybe you make those mistakes as a freshman, but then you can kind of see what is what kind of a quarterback do we really have here? Is it someone who's going to learn from those mistakes and improve on them and eliminate them more or less? Or is it someone that maybe is making repeated mistakes and, and can't get over the hump? I'm not implying that that's the case with Knicks. I'm just trying to kind of talk about evaluating quarterback play. So We'll see what Nix can do this year if he does end up winning the starting job for the Ducks, but we'll have to wait for an official decision probably through fall camp. Um, maybe it even drags into the season. Who knows? Um, it's going to be it's going to be pretty interesting to see. Um, let's see here. And on the topic of Georgia, Andrew said, I really hope good Bo shows up for Georgia. Um, Eric says, I love how no one is giving us a chance to beat Georgia week one. They lost 15 players to the draft. Dan knows that team as well as anyone. Yeah, that's definitely a, an argumentative point for a lot of people just talking about why Oregon could have a good shot in this game. I think for me, why I think Oregon should have a good shot in this game is because of what they did in Columbus is are Georgia and Ohio state, the same team. No, but they are similar caliber of teams. And if you can hang in there with Ohio State, you can hang in there without some of your best players, mind you, right? No Kayvon Thibodeau, no Justin Flo. Without some of your best players, I think that says a lot about your team, the the culture, the the buy-in and everything. So I feel like they definitely have a chance there. And then that's what, what you're saying, Eric, in this comment about how Dan Lane's going to be familiar with that team. So hopefully he'll be able to use some of that knowledge from last season to help them prepare for the Bulldogs to kick off the 2021 season. Um, okay. So I feel like some of these comments are related. So Gerard said also a sellout, the mold bowl, Oregon versus Oregon state at research stadium is still under construction and has a capacity of 26,407. Uh, that, yeah, that was a, I think John Canzano tweeted out that they had sold out that game already. Um, let me see if I can find it. Um, I don't have my monitor set up, so I unfortunately can't share my screen. Um, but let me just see if I can find it here. All right, what do we have? Okay, Oregon versus, this is a tweet from John Canzano three hours ago. Oregon versus Oregon State football game is officially a sellout per OSU. Capacity at Research Stadium is limited this season to 26,407 with the stadium construction project. If Oregon State is good again, tickets will be tough for a few other games. Yeah, so um, I know a lot of people were kind of memeing that construction with Oregon State when they um, they you know demolished a, a huge part of the stadium. Um, but then this goes to Mikey G's comment that's also about this game. Game previously known as the Civil War is going to be a great game this year. Would love to be able to make that one. I think this is also going to be a really good game. I think it's going to yeah. That's what other people are saying in the comments here. Um, I think 
obviously Oregon has, has done a pretty good job in recent years. You know, definitely left something to be desired at the end of the 2021 season with Mario Cristobal's departure um, and a lot of coaches leaving as well. Uh, but they got to feel good about what they're building in Eugene. And then in Corvallis with Jonathan Smith, I think that they're looking the best that they have in, in quite a while. Um, with Chance Nolan looks like he's probably the guy at quarterback. You have a good running back and Deshaun Fenwick, some, some good wide receivers as well. Treshawn Harrison is one that I know of. Tyjon Lindsey, um, I believe he might still be there. But the pieces are coming together, it feels like, um, for, for Oregon State to have a pretty solid squad. And, and they've been doing a really good job along that offensive line. I think that they're, that's kind of a group that they're making a name for themselves with. So anytime you can be competitive in the trenches, I think that really bodes well for you to be in most games that you play in. So I think that the Oregon-Oregon State game should be pretty good next year. Uh, and, you know, years to come. This is a good question from uh, from Steve that I want to get into. Steve asks, do you think the conference losing USC and UCLA will have an effect on Oregon's near future recruiting? I think USC and UCLA's move to the Big Ten is very interesting from a recruiting perspective because I think some people, they probably look at it like, okay, USC and UCLA can – now sell playing big time football, playing against more quality opponents on a more regular basis. But you could also look at it at the flip side, right? And I'm not saying this because I cover Oregon. USC and UCLA haven't been terribly competitive in the Pac-12 in recent years. They haven't been winning the Pac-12 that much in recent years. So you can see the other side of it. You know What, what gives you confidence that you can be competitive against these other teams in the Big Ten? Uh, I feel like you'd probably be, it probably makes sense. And most people would be in this camp that USC is going to be more competitive in the big 10 than, than UCLA. But with the impact on Oregon recruiting, it, it doesn't seem like it's going to have much of a negative impact. I mean, we saw, um, we saw them land Dante Moore, So they did that amid all this conference limbo. Um, I wrote a recent update that uh, with, with Ashton Cozart uh, and he was saying, he was asked about conference realignment. He was saying, I don't care where we play, you know, Pac-12, ACC, SEC. I don't care who we're playing. I, I'm just, you know, ready for it. So I think that maybe it could make Oregon need to battle a little bit harder for some guys against, you know, maybe these Big Ten schools like USC, maybe not so much UCLA, but I'd say USC has a bigger recruiting competition. But Oregon's still Oregon. You know, they still have a, a really strong history, even though it isn't as, um, you know, longstanding as a lot of the blue bloods in the sport. They still have Nike. Um, they still have some guys that they're putting in the league. They're getting better at putting guys in the NFL. So I think you could see some effects on the recruiting trail. <clears throat> but if recent results are any indication, it feels like Oregon should be able to keep going at a, uh, at a pretty high clip. Let's see. Question from Andrew, assuming Flo and Sewell leave after the year, are those both open scholarships? Um, I'm not 100% what, uh, sure what you mean by this. I mean, they, they have other guys on the roster that they would probably look to fill, but that's part of the reason I think they have to hit linebacker hard in this 2023 class, still waiting for that first linebacker to pop, unless you want to consider Tatum Tuioti, who's an edge, uh, as a linebacker. But um, I think there's definitely some really solid depth there, right? You have Jeff Bossa, Jackson Ledoux, Keith Brown, uh, another solid linebacker. So those guys were all able to play some decent ball last year. 
And I think that getting some good reps under their belt is going to go a long way for the Ducks when it comes to just getting guys ready that can slide in and take on those bigger roles. And then you have Devin Jackson, Harrison Taggart coming into the defense from the 2022 recruiting class. Those guys were both spring enrollees. So great to have those guys on campus uh, nice and early. I'm sure there's a couple guys I'm forgetting. So apologies for that. But I feel like to, I, I want to say yes to this question um, because you, you got to make sure you're just keep adding talent. That's That's the name of the game. Um, so yeah, that's the, the answer to that. See me on the big screen said, I saw very good potential in flow, but feel like we haven't got much bang for our buck. I don't see how he can go very high in the draft after just one full season. If he stays healthy this year. Yeah. I think that that's kind of the camp that I've been in and that's no slight to Justin flow, but I feel like people at the NFL level that they want to see a fairly extensive body of work, uh, someone who can prove it on a consistent basis. Um, and whether it was the the spring game or that game against Fresno State when it just felt like he was playing out of his mind, uh, we have definitely seen some some positive, some great play on the field and reason to be excited. Um, so I feel like for Justin Flo, this is kind of a, a big year for him, kind of a prove it year because you want it for that for the Oregon fans. They want to see that dynamic duo, that strong linebacker tandem from Noah Sewell and Justin Flo. So I think that's a big year for for Oregon at the at the linebacker position. Um, for um, for Tosh Lapoy and, and those outside linebackers, um, for um, gosh, for for um, I'm blanking on this name for for Jake Long and those inside backers. There, there's definitely a lot of talent uh, for them to work with. Adrian Jackson is another guy you got to look out for uh, at the linebacker spot, but. There's no shortage of talent there for, for Oregon at linebacker, but I think you have to hit it hard on the recruiting trail to make sure that you keep that room as well as a lot of other positions just stocked with really good guys that you're comfortable turning to, or you can at least get involved early on in their college careers, hopefully in some blowout games, because it's important for these guys to get snaps, to get adjusted to the speed of the college game and to get comfortable in the defense too, right? You can't, you can only make so much out of mental reps. You got to get on the field to get those guys comfortable, but that'll do it for us. This guy, that'll do it for us. You guys on this episode of the Ducks dish podcast really had a great time. Uh, sorry. I was a little late tonight, um, but um, still glad we got to get a show in and, you know, get your guys' comments and questions here on the, the channel and then break down some of the top stories with Byron Carwell and Bo Nix building a lot of building some hype towards next season. And then that Georgia Oregon game officially being ruled a sellout. Uh, hope to see a lot of Duck fans at that one. Uh, see, see a lot of Duck fans showing out at that Oregon-Georgia game. But that'll do it for me, guys. Um, really, really want to say thank you for stopping by and talking some ball with us. Uh, make sure to just do me a quick favor. Like I said, subscribe to the channel, hit the like button, and share the Duck Stage podcast with your friends, family, and other Duck fans. That'll do it for this one, you guys. I'm your host, Max Torish. Taurus, thank you guys for listening to the Ducks Dish Podcast, and we'll see you in the next one. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.